Hello? Hey! Hi! Hey! Hi! Hey! 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 And welcome to Designated Chatter. Yes, baby. Little bit of a disclaimer here. We are cutting off our first part of how we discuss and talk about real things here. Because I'm going to be honest with you, we are, we are coming up on one of the most interesting interviews that we have ever had. If not, I've ever really been a part of and listened to. Am I right? Yes. We bring on Kyle Bodie. Oh, my Lord. The things the things he said to us and that we've talked about, just sometimes he left me speechless with of how much he knows about this sport, the ins and outs. It's truly unbelievable. Yes. For those of you tuning in, I recommend staying along. We're only really going to be talking for about 10 minutes because that's how good of a interview it was. And I just recommend keeping it along. But before we get uh, moving on, I just want to, we, we, we also want to get into analytics as well ourselves as I mean, Kyle Bodie's all about analytics. I mean, he's, he's the head of one of the biggest analytical companies in the game right now. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't speak to how big of a company he has, one of his headline names, Trevor Bauer. And obviously one of the most statistically analytically driven players in the game right now, we get, we just dive deep into basically all of what really sabermetrics, data analytics, quantitative analysis is, but Kyle Bowie just comes on and just blows our minds. And I just can't, I can't wait to get down to things. It'll be, it's, it's an interesting interview. Definitely. It It is. But as we move along here, as a prelude, you obviously want to talk about how big analytics, sabermetrics has been on the game of baseball. And it all goes back to Moneyball. And he, we, Mr. Bodie talks about that in his interview. And he talks about how Moneyball basically started this movement and basically using statistics and analytics to drive success in baseball. And instead of just looking at a player and saying, hey, you're good. No, you dive deep into the statistics and saying, Hey, based on a statistical analysis, you can be this good. And basically teams started dumping players for big names and started bringing up players with big potential. And that's what Moneyball was all about. It wasn't about the money. It was about the potential. And Mm -hmm. that's how it all started. And over the past 10, 15 years, things have just blown up. They have. And like Kyle Bodie, um, You'll, you'll find out in the interview that he is he's, – he's great friends with the writer of Moneyball. And to get that inspiration from that movie or, you know, book, the both, it's just – it's amazing. If you haven't seen or read Moneyball, I, it's one of my favorites. You know, I'm not a big book reader, but a lot of people don't understand that it's not all about the big names, the who can hit the most home runs, all you need is for a guy to get on base. Matter yeah. to walk, a single, it doesn't matter. If you can get that guy on base, that starts up the whole process. And that's what Moneyball has shown. Mm-hmm. And for Kyle Bodie to talk about all these analytics and how he's used these into players, it's it's amazing. And again, and some of the teams out there that are proving it time and time again, you have the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics coming in with two of the lowest payrolls in the entire league, consistently making a run for the playoffs not because they're paying big names, but the, but because they trust the process, they trust the system, and they've built one of the top systems in the league. You'll have another team, right, so, so far, not really paying much of their athletes, mainly because of their rookie contracts, the Chicago White Sox, yes. who will start to build on their name and start to build in this kind of process because they've built up young prospects via trades, gotten rid of big names for big potential players. And these systems have grown not only beyond Moneyball, but also in terms of adapting the way the game has been controlled and the way the game has been viewed by the viewers out there, you know, in terms of StatCast and the uh, types of technology available for players looking to, you know, continue their career. I mean, Rap Soto and HitTrack. You have all these types of technologies that allow players to analyze the way their swing path goes, analyze how fast of a swing path they have. Some, some people like Trevor Bauer and how Mr. Bodie discovers, I mean, discusses it, invest millions of dollars into their body. And they basically 
break down each singular part of their body and statistic statistically develop each part of their body. And it's funny, Trevor Bauer, I remember listening to him talk about how he does and breaks down each part of his game. He talks about how he takes his blood pressure and his blood, like his blood count, his urine count, his like blood gravity count. And that's Mm -hmm. how he's able, it's weird. I don't under, I don't, I don't, I don't completely understand it, but everything that Trevor Bauer does, if you're looking for someone that is a stat man, the stat man, look into Trevor Bauer. But the way he's been so interactive with stats and how he's really advocated for the uses of stats throughout the game has kind of redeveloped and kind of brought younger players, younger people, the next generation has, and the way uh, Mr. Bodie says how college players are coming up to the system and now colleges are even advocating for stats themselves and quantitative analysis. So there's just been a, it's a, it's a technological revolution that has really not only been in baseball and Mr. Bodie also talks about how it's basically impacted almost every single sport out there and he'll go into basketball I mean, it'll be basketball and baseball. And it's just these, these kinds of programs that have been developed by Mr. Bodie himself. And he, he, he didn't really have that dream his entire life, but through him and his college adventures and through inspiration via Moneyball, as he talks, he was able to develop and partner with some people and redevelop their careers in ways we didn't, they didn't even know all because they took a deep dive into the stats. Exactly. I mean, you look at people like Trevor Bauer. He had, you know, when he was coming up through the minors, he had those off seasons. He he couldn't get it right. And then again, he went to go, he visited Kyle and it changed him. He just won the MVP or the Cy Young for this last season. Yeah. Just, just talks no, about his yeah. redevelopment. It, it, it's crazy. Again, we can't preach enough how great of an interview this is. Yes. And we can't preach enough. You just have to listen to it because it'll change the way you think about the game. If you are a everyday bread and butter, I'm just playing the game just because I'm natural, naturally fit at it. For those, there are, there still are people out there that basically say stats really take away from what baseball is about. But at the same time, I don't believe stats take away from the game. I think they help improve on the game. Yes, I totally agree. They don't really distract much off the game. And if you if you use stats, I mean stats and data analysis to your advantage, you're really helping yourself more than you think. And one of the questions we ask him is whether or not back in the day, if there was the usage of stats, whether or not that would have affected some of the all-time greats for the better. And yeah. The, that, that answer is absolutely amazing. But it's just <sighs> – it's, it's a great interview. It is a great interview. It's a great interview. And before we turn it over to us and Mr. Bodie for the interview, um, sad news we found out the other day, uh, Twins bench coach Mike Bell passed away. Um, prayers uh, to his family. Hope uh, everyone gets through this tough time, and we pray for all the Twins. Hopefully this doesn't affect them in this upcoming season. Yes, it's all, it's all, it sucks to ever see someone as big as Mr. Bell, Coach Bell, I mean, especially as, as big of an in- impact as he had on this Twins organization. So, yes, RIP, thoughts and yes. prayers out to his family. But we are moving on here as we are heading to, uh, base, like we said, one of the best interviews we've had. And I, I hope you you folks listening in stick along as Ms., uh, Mr. Kyle Bodie, founder, creator of Driveline Enterprises, steps up to the plate and gives us his thoughts and wonderful knowledge here as we take a quick break. Thanks for joining us. Welcome on back, everyone. And I am as excited as everyone else is as we build up to this fantastic meeting between one of the greats in the statistics world in the MLB right now. And I cannot wait to learn from one of the best Kyle Bodie, founder of Drive Line Baseball and also director of pitching for the Cincinnati Reds. I want to say thank you again during spring training, one of the most hectic times 
as you prepare for the incoming season. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I think it can be crazy, but thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so we'll get right back, right down to it. And in terms of developing driveline baseball, obviously it was a whole long process. And uh, personally, uh, Ethan, me, I would love to know the fans out there. How were you able to develop a company like driveline enterprises, curate an idea of becoming a broad data and analytics company that informs players and coaches on new ways to play the game? Like how, where did the vision start? Yeah, you know, it, it really started with um, just thinking about my days as economist and a software developer. You know, I worked at Microsoft and a few other places, and it just felt like, you know, reading the research there. And as I started getting into coaching, um, you know, it was just like, we should just, that should probably, you know, be how we do this, you know. And then when sure. I read Moneyball, um, like a lot of people, when I read Moneyball, I was like, yeah, this is interesting, but what I took out of it wasn't so much the using the numbers to select players and identify them. It was, you know, they didn't talk much about how to use the numbers to develop the players. And I was later lucky enough to be on Michael Lewis's podcast, uh, the writer of Moneyball. And Michael, I asked Michael himself, I said, hey, yeah, did you kind of find that was weird when you wrote it, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, it was strange. He's like, yeah, they never they never talked about it. They never, you know, it was never focused on player development. So I figured when I had all that, I knew that, I knew that there was going to be, I knew that uh, at some point that that's, it was going to move in that, in that direction at pro ball and college. And, you know, so I started up a company and trained players that way. And, um, you know, and eventually caught on. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I know you started a blog called driveline mechanics. How did you use this blog as a stepping stone to create driveline? Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've given this advice a lot to, to younger people that want to get in the game is you have to write a lot. You know, the smartest people in the world, they read, you know, so there's video and podcasts and things like that. And that's, that's great. You know, it's, it's part of new media and all that. And I listen to podcasts too and crush YouTube. I, I love learning. And you know, right now I'm in trying to I actually have a chess lesson in two hours. So I'm actually <laughs> like going to be studying for that, you know? And so I love, I love it. The video revolution has been huge, but you know, still the smartest people in the world read a lot. You know, they, they love to read. And as a result, you know, writing is extremely important. And so much of communication in professional baseball and in the business world is written. It's not, you know, video and it's not over the phone. It's, it's written documents and, and so forth. So sharpening up your writing skills and clarity and getting it out there is, is huge. And a blog is, is probably one of the best ways to do that. Uh, now social media is also a good way to do that. You know, it wasn't as big of a thing when I had started writing the blog, you know, um, so, you know, it, it's just really large to be able, it's really huge to be able to get out those broad ideas and writing and then you know unbeknownst to me a lot of front office people were reading the blog and when i had my first interview with the tampa bay rays they um i met with andrew friedman who was then the general manager <clears throat> heim bloom you know who's now boston's mm-hmm. general manager eric neander who's now tampa's general manager and james click who is now houston's general manager and uh matt arnold who is now the brewer's general manager oh my gosh wow. so yeah it was a pretty wild tampa's got a they had a pretty wild, you know, yeah. front office, you know. So I met with all those play- people one-on-one. They all had read articles that I had written and, and asked me questions about it. It was like, oh, wow, you know, like that's pretty crazy. Um, they had done it. So I bothered Tyler Blazinski, who's the founder of Vox Media now, um, probably what people know him now. But before he had started Athletics Nation and then SB Nation. So I just like, I want to write for the blog. I want to write for SB Nation. I bothered him. I bothered him. And I said, um, he's like, you know, if you write for six months on your own blog and prove that you can keep it up, then I'll bring you on. And then I did. He brought me on. And it's kind of how it was. And it was, it was really big. It was really, really big. And um, it, it made the business what it is without writing twice a week for years on end. It doesn't uh, it doesn't get to where it is. Yeah. Now, were you a stats guy straight from the start or was it just something that you picked up and just like, I just want this is something that the game needs to know? Yeah, I had always been, you know, I played baseball, obviously, you know, growing up and all that, but not, not so much stats, you know, there wasn't much in the game and I didn't really think about it. Didn't play too many baseball video games or Stratomatic or anything like that. So I didn't have a history of playing like sabermetric type games in the 1980s, 1990s. Um, But, you know, as I, but I studied econ, I was an economist and then I was a professional gambler for a while. So I, knew a lot about stats from that. And then, you know, when I turned my focus to coaching and trying to serve the kids the best I could, I was like, you know, a data-driven approach probably makes sense. And it turned out that really no one was thinking about it that way. So it was, it was news to me. I, I figured that people in baseball would 
had pivoted to it, but it turned out that they hadn't, you know, when I, when I first started coaching about um, 15 years ago now, 16 years. Hmm. And obviously stats have come a huge in the leaps and bounds, especially in the past 10 years, obviously with the revolutionizing of, of StatCast and all of these companies out there, I mean, that have changed the thinking of baseball, including driveline. I mean, in terms of further on down the road, say 10 years from now, where do you see your company? Where do you see other data and analytics companies right now? I mean, do you see them becoming even more of an implementation into the game? Or do you see, I mean, exactly where they are? Where do you think you are 10 years down the line from now? Man, it's going to be so different. You know, it's huge. It, I mean, the, the impact is only going to grow. You know, we're very early. We're starting very early. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, we're at the very, very beginning of stat, stats and quantitative analysis being used in player development. I mean, we're talking really early. You know, people have read the MVP machine, you know, which I'm in, uh, a few other books that kind of, and they feel like it's, we're in the middle of it. And I'm here to tell you, we're not even close. Mm-hmm. Not even close. No, no. By the time when you guys get to be my age, you know, and I'm not that old and you're not that young, you know, but like when you get to like, you know, it'll be 15 years, you know, the game will be very, very different um, and for the better, in my opinion. So biomechanics, I think, is a big area of it, you know, quantifying human movement and what to actually do and how to develop players, um, swing paths, pitcher mechanics, uh, tendencies, game theory. There's so much, so much data that's being untouched and, and, and not optimized. We have a long way to go, you know, so it's going to be really exciting, I think. Um, create a lot of opportunity for young people that want to get in the game. I'm sorry, I'm smiling under this because it's just amazing to listen to you talk about just everything that has happened and everything that's going to happen. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, I'm happy to hear it. I don't make a lot of predictions, but <laughs> on this one, you know, there's, there's a lot of inefficiency and, and in full uh, disclosure, the reason I was late is I was in a meeting with the director of hitting with the Reds and we were just getting talking, talked over time and it was what it was. We talked primarily about all the biomechanics initiatives that we're doing with the Reds, a bunch of new stuff. And I'm the director of pitching, you know, for yeah. now, for sure. but I, I try to do a lot. I try to help out the other departments. I think being a good teammate is it doesn't stop when you, when you're stop wearing a uniform as a player, you know, as a coach and you're always trying to figure out what you can do. So as a result of me being a software developer at Microsoft and having some experience with hardware, I worked on the original Microsoft Connect. You know, please don't blame me. That thing was a piece of crap. You know, hearing <laughs> more about the marketing. Um, but you know, I, I had there's a lot of things that are done with interns and um, manual labor that can be automated. You know, and that was what I did really well um, as a developer. I was a really I was an automation engineer for the most part, um, and so. You know, I think it's on, if you can help, you should help, you know, and that's why at six o'clock when everyone else is gone in, you know, in the complex, you know, my pitching coordinator and I are still here because we're trying to build systems that outlast us. Um, and by definition, systems are based on, you know, numbers, statistics, and, you know, quantitative models so that the coaches and the coordinators that follow us, you know, have those tools uh, forever. You know, trying to make the Reds be the best place to develop pitching. And, and obviously on the big league level, you know, we get a lot of attention because of Derek Johnson and, and the work of Trevor Bauer and, yes, sir. Ray and Louis Castillo and we had TJ Antone, a bunch of really, really good players, you know, and uh, they deserve it hundred percent. But, you know, my goal is on the minor league. I, I'm, I'm more engaged on the minor league side. So I'm trying to build out the systems for the minor league side to create, you know, dominance and player development, you know, for the next decade, um, not just for, you know, me and hopefully I'm here for a decade, but, you know, for the people that come after me and the coaches that come after me. Not do you, I'm sorry, Ethan, do you, do you feel that the use of quantitative analysis, do you feel that that kind of, <clears throat> quickens an athlete's time in the, in terms of development, getting to the professional or the big leagues faster. Do you think that the, the use of those analytics and statistics kind of helps them grow faster at a faster rate? Yeah, I think it can, you know, there's some people that don't identify with it and, and it's just another tool in the toolbox. You know, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have an anal- analytical way to approach the game, then you are lacking one additional tool to connect with a player. So it's not about that everyone needs to see the numbers and everyone needs to, you know, be a tech savvy person. It's about the fact that, you know, you need to, you know, have, you know, you need to have another tool. It's never bad to have extra tools in the toolbox. You know, it doesn't mean you have to use a hammer to screw in a nail, you know, a screw. That's not how it works. It's just like, you know, before you have a screwdriver and you have a nail, like it's not the best tool for the job, you know? So 
Yeah, it depends. And, and the kids that come out of college, you know, to be quite honest, have, have an increasing interest in, um, in the game, increases, increasing interest in the analytical side of the game, you know, and it's just a way to connect with them. And, and the colleges are, to be quite honest, are leading the quantitative player development um, platform. You know, they're, they're the ones, they're the ones at the top of the crest of the wave. And so when those players graduate or they're, you know, they're drafted and they get into professional baseball, they have some expectations on what they're used to. And so it's on us as coaches and coordinators to be able to connect with them. Sure. Of course. Um, so for people on our podcast that didn't know, in October of 2019, uh, Kyle was hired by the Cincinnati Reds to be their minor league director of pitching. Um, other ML teams have pursued you as well. Um, what, were, what was like your day-to-day schedule being the pitching coordinator, and how do you add your techniques from driveline into this role? Yeah, it was um, it's a whirlwind choosing the Reds. There were a lot of teams. I didn't know how much interest there was, but it turned out to be considerable. And uh, <laughs> People have made the joke that, like, my first year being COVID, I feel so bad for you. And certainly some days I get down on myself from missing the whole year, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, on other days, you know, most of the time I feel very lucky, you know, uh, because if there's anyone that's, you know, thinking in systems and communicating with players all over the world and and making sure that they're doing things and setting up programs for them, you know, like, I feel like I was in a really good spot for them. Uh, because I've done that with track, you know, the driveline remote training platform and all that. And my assistant pitching coordinator was Eric Jagers at the time, who's now our assistant big league pitching coach. And Eric and I, you know, really spent a lot of time on content is what we did. And we came in, we, the philosophy was very different before I got here. You know, the throwing was very different, the no weighted balls and, and very different things. And it wasn't very integrated. You know, pitching didn't talk to high performance and hitting that much. So I spent most of the most of the first months really breaking down the barriers between the departments and revolutionizing how we're going to communicate. So we're not going to use email. We're not going to use texts. We're going to do that. You know, we use Slack. You know, well, it's Slack. Okay. Like here's how we install it. Here's how we use groups and things like that. You know, you kids are younger, smarter, use discord. I probably would have, if I knew, <laughs> if I knew how to use it, you know, but I'm old. So I use Slack. So, uh, you know, it's about, you know, how do we communicate? How do we channels and, you know, things that don't come first nature to people that are in the game, you know, that, that, aren't, that don't come from the business world. So I, I spent a lot of time on communication, how we communicate, how often we communicate, how we communicate. Um, and my seven years of consulting in professional baseball really set me up for that. I realized you can't start with the technical. You got to start with the systems. You got to start with the communication and you got to set expectations uh, on what you expect. And then what does it mean to be a Cincinnati Reds pitching coach? What does it mean to be a Cincinnati Reds pitcher? You know, like there's sometimes teams and organizations don't have a defined role, you know, and with the Reds, I think we do. Like when you look at the big leagues and you hear Derek Johnson talk, you hear David Bell talk, you hear Bauer and Sonny Gray talk Mm -hmm. and TJ Antone, especially you hear them say, you know, we're trying to strike everyone out. We're trying to set the K's record. We're trying to punch tickets, you know, and um, and we're going to do it by throwing hard like Velo, you know, spin you know, and like breaking ball, nasty breaking balls and not just spin, but like the, the profile of the pitch, you know, because Amir Garrett, he doesn't have high spin rate, but he's, he's nasty. I think everyone would agree with that, yeah. you know, yeah. so, but Amir Garrett does some things well that, you know, I don't think a lot of people in baseball know, you know, they look, oh, his spin rate is low. His break is low on the slider. It's like, you know, you're, you're not thinking deep enough. There's, there's more to it. I'm not going to get into it, but there's more to why Amir is good. It's not just luck, you know, and it's not just that Amir is a competitor and he's a damn good one, but there's other parts quantitatively that he does well that people aren't exploring you know and so then that's the really fun stuff is getting into that and then what does it mean you know how do we develop that and then when you develop an identity of who we're supposed to be at the big league level you know then it makes it easy on the minor league side you just point up there and you're like all right that's that's how we do it up there you know like if you want to be up there that's what we got to do you know um you know we had the highest (laughs) it was like top three not the highest because jacob Degrom exists uh but i think we had the highest (laughs) Highest average fastball velocity out of the starters, you know, in the last two years, the top three, top three in the league. Mm-hmm. And if you adjust for park, you know, our, our, our wins above replacement, you know, was, was really high. It's top five for sure. And, and by some measures the best in all the league. Um, so that when you have that type of, of performance up there, it creates pressure on the minor league side to be that good and to understand that like to go up there, you have to, you know, a bunch is expected of you. And um, I think it all starts with the top. So I think it starts with Derek Johnson start, I think it starts with David Bell. I think it starts with, Dick Williams, who was the president here when I took when I got the job, and then now Nick Crawl, who's been elevated. He was here too, but he's now been elevated to that position. And Dick voluntarily, you know, left the left the organization. And um, both Dick and um, Nick Crawl um, made it possible for me to do my thing. You know, and what people don't quite understand 
is being the general manager of a team doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. I used to think that one for a long time. And then it turns out that like it's, a, it's an ecosystem. It's, it's, it's a democracy, you know, in some respects. And you have to respect people's opinions and how you, you got to get by and you can't just say things. And that's really what I spent the first year doing is getting the systems in place and, and saying this isn't going to be driveline because I don't believe that. It's going to be the Reds and it's going to have a different identity. And we do things differently with the Reds than probably we would do a driveline, you know, and, and vice versa. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just about how do we serve the players the best we can and with the tools that we have, you know. And so then that's what I focus a lot on. Year two, it's much more technical, you know, building the biomechanic system. How do we integrate that data? How do we get everything in there? How do we have an athlete management system? And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I think we're going to nail it in the minor leagues this year. And, and to be honest, COVID was, it was a blessing in disguise because while it sucked to not have games, we had kids training their asses off every day, uploading videos, and we built a community and they were close. And I would argue that they're the closest minor league pitchers in all of, in all of baseball because of how often we kept on them and they had to upload videos every two weeks. And we held chats and video chats. And I invited guests. Like I had uh, my friend as the assistant coach for the Boston Celtics, Jay Laranaga. And he came on and he talked about, you know, the use of stats in basketball. And then he talked a lot about like players, you know, I'm not going to repeat it, but he would show some scouting film of players and of Kawhi Leonard. And, and he broke down film and these kids are like, ah, it's incredible. And I'm like, yeah, see, like it's going on everywhere. It's not just here. And then I brought in Kirk Goldsberry, who he wrote Sprawl Ball. If you haven't read that book, it's tremendous. You know, it talks a lot about how threes are taking over the NBA and he's a data scientist or he's, I'm sorry, he's much more than that. He's a professor, mm-hmm. UC Austin. But then he worked for the Spurs for a couple of years as the director of R&D. And so Goldsberry talked a lot about how, you know, basketball. And so it lets them relate, you know, because it's not just baseball. Everything's being taken over. So. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I know it's a long-winded answer, but it, it's been really, it's been really fun and really rewarding. And this year, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it. And um, I can't, I, I couldn't be more excited. You know, every year that goes by, doing this thing, it's, um, it's just gross. And I know that there's, I know we're at the beginning. That, that's the cool part. Yeah, that's amazing. You talked about Discord and Zoom. I, I we're not as smart as you think because I, I, I still, I, I head scratch myself every time I try to log on to this thing. So I mean, I, I. Yeah, we're we're still working the the kinks out here, but and, I think we all are. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, sir. But to get back to it, I mean, you you talked about college players. I mean, they their college system is preparing them to take the stats routes. But in terms of the average ball player that you run into now, do you find that these players are leaning more towards stats the way some players weren't grown to? play towards the stats but to play the natural way do you find do you find that some more more than not players you run into are for the stats other than the bread and butter natural route yeah I, I would say that I would say that's true I would I would to be quite honest you know I've said this multiple times I've tweeted it but I think it's worth repeating um, the players that consistently like technology tools analytical approach to the game they like it the most they're gravitated to the most they have the best first reaction to it are latin american baseball players sign close you know people think it's college and whatever it's no it's like young latin kids you know they not all of them certainly but the vast majority of them they play the game with a level of of fun and a level of uh energy high energy that is not seen you know, since like Little League, you know, these, these, these kids are incredible players, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And they're just, they have a love for the game that I wish that more Americans could see the way that I saw, yeah. you know, because like, you don't always get to see it at the big league level, but when you see 18 year olds come over to America for the first time, imagine being from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, Colombia, Cuba coming over and being in the United States of America for the very first time, the second time, maybe, you know, you come over here, you're already bewildered by the United States. You know, it's, it's incredible. It's such a different land. It's better in some respects, worse in some respects. You know, we can all debate the merits of that, you know, in our own time. But to go there and to, to, to see that, it already, you know, have a sense of wonder. And then to play, you know, against people that look different from them, from all over the world, from Brazil, from the United States, from Chicago, to sure. Phoenix, to California, you know, it's Canada, it's uh, Europe. We have a lot of European players. We have a couple of Italians, you know, from from Italy, Leo Seminati and Nicola uh, Pinazzi. And it's such a cool multicultural experience. And, you know, they don't have a ton of technology in the Dominican, not because they don't like it, but the price is really expensive there relative. There's import-export laws, you know, it's hard. So then when they hit on a hit tracks and see their ball flight tracks, 
they're they're losing their mind. Like it's incredible. You could do this as a blast, you know. You got weighted balls. Oh, this is cool. We throw we throw weighted balls too. They have like you know whatever, and then the um, modus sleeve or anything. You know, they, it's so wondrous to them because a lot of for a lot of them, it's the first time they've seen something like that. Whereas Americans can sometimes grow complacent with the technology, and if it's used incorrectly, they can grow to resent it. You know, and so the point is is that the players from all backgrounds, you know, truly like it for the most part. You know, there are some that don't. That's okay. You know, it's not for everyone. It's not me trying to force my method onto you. I just want you to be a big leaguer, you know, and however we're going to do that together is cool. It's a two-way street, you know, but I find that the Latin American players, they, they, they really love it. Um, almost, I, I, I can confidently say I haven't run into a single one, you know, that, that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, now the, the varying degree of the embrace is, is, is different, you know, but um, it's truly, it's truly a lot of fun. So that, that's the cool part of this game, in my opinion. Sure. Amazing. Um, so to kick it back to driveline, uh, one of the first pro players you've had come into driveline was Trevor Bauer. Um, after Trevor came in, you had lots of MLB talent come to driveline. Um, having Trevor Bauer as the first MLB player, uh, was this a big stepping stone to your business? And how did you use this to expand on it? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say it's a big stepping stone, precisely because uh, he wasn't the first, you know. So that's, but that's one of the things, you know, because he was such a big name, you know, or he wasn't at the time, you know. But then, you know, he became one. Um, no, the first guy was Ryan Buckter, um, who still pitches in AAA now. He's the first one to give me a shot, and he got to the big leagues. I, I make the joke: first minor leaguer that ever gave me a chance was Ryan Buckter, B U C H T E R, and he got to the big leagues. The second one was Caleb Cotham. He got to the big leagues. Caleb was my boss last year, if that name sounds familiar. He's yeah, a big league coach of the Phillies. Yeah. So he was my boss. It was funny. I trained him. And then since then, it's been uh, it's been all downhill. You know, like I had 100% hit rate through two guys. And then, you know, it's like not been that good. Um, Casey Weathers was very early. He's my rehab coach now, you know. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting economy. It's an interesting ecosystem, you know. And so Trevor came to me in 2013, you know, he, I met him in 2012, 2013, he had a really bad year in Columbus. Actually, my boss now, one of my bosses, Chris Tremme, my field coordinator, uh, Trevor played for him in Columbus in AAA and he had a bad year. He was really bad. He's throwing slow. He's 89, 91, you know, changes arm action. He was just going through a lot of stuff, trying to change the mechanics. We talked, you know, he came out to driveline, liked what he heard, you know, 2014, he was throwing, he was the hardest throwing pitcher in spring training. Uh, by a lot. He was averaging 97, 98, you know, in spring training and people are starting to ask questions and um, this probably doesn't surprise you, but like Trevor just told them the truth. <laughs> Trevor took <laughs> mind and that, that's, that spread, you know? And so then I started to get jobs. I worked for the Indians. I worked for a couple other teams and then it spread and yeah, so it was a big deal. It definitely, it definitely impacted, it definitely impacted uh, the business for sure. So you were definitely a huge influence on the development or redevelopment of Trevor Bauer's game. I was, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, from a very factual perspective, yeah, I definitely had a, a big role in it. But you know, mostly it's just Trevor. You of know, course, to be quite of honest. course. I'm not trying to be modest, but like, no, no. From a young age, you know, Trevor had always sought out other other people. Jim Wagner was his first pitching coach, and he still runs Throw Zone and. Santa Clarita, California, Jim and I are good friends. And then he trained with Ron Wolforth at the Texas Baseball Ranch and Ron and I are friends. Alan Jager, long toss, you know, long toss guru. And Alan and I are very close friends, you know, and business partners too. And uh, so he's, you know, what Trevor is smart about, and you're starting to see this with athletes out there. You know, you probably heard the quote, LeBron spends a million dollars a year on his body, right? Um, I would bet that that number's low. You know, people think the number's too high. I, I bet it's higher than that. I bet LeBron just said a million to just kind of be like, yeah, you know, it's, it's roughly that. I, I don't. I bet it's higher, you know, because LeBron's smart. You know, he's still the best player in basketball, you know, when it counts. You know, obviously he's not going to go hard for 82 games. He gets that, yeah. you know. Um, for my money, he's still the best player in basketball. And like, you know, like if you got one guy to win a game, you know, or a seven-game set, uh, it's going to be hard to pick someone else. Now we can argue over that, you know, whatever, but he's one of the best for sure. You know, is he better than Jordan? We'll leave it off this call. You know, but like <laughs> the point is that – you don't get to that age. You don't get to LeBron's age without investing in your career you know, and doing what he did. Right. And now he's probably talking about food, massage therapy, you know, modalities, surgeries, all that type of stuff. No doubt. No question. But then it's the people that you surround yourself, the tools builders, who's one of the hottest people on the PGA tour right now, Bryson, um, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, right. Hits yeah. the ball a billion feet, <laughs> you know, yeah. polarizing swing speeds out the, out the, 
he's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. He just can really swing the shit out of it, but he can really play. You know, he's not just he's not just a one trick pony. Now Bryson, he didn't get there by being just great. You know, he has a, a he has a a group. Scott Fawcett does his game planning, right? Scott Fawcett runs a company called Decade, or he he produces a thing called Decade. It's called Decade Golf. It's an app in the App Store. And it's about game planning, like where you should hit your shots. You know, Bryson used a famously used a compass, something you probably last used when you were in third grade on how to like draw <laughs> circles and reconstruct angles. He used it to reconstruct greens, like wow. the slope of the greens. They banned the compass, by the way. You can't do that anymore. But like, yeah. he learned that from someone. And then he works with Chris Como as a swing coach. Now, Chris Como, you might like it. You know, you might like this because Chris Como is a very data-driven coach. He has the exact same motion capture system that driveline baseball does. You know, we have the exact same one. He uses the Gears Golf system, which is driven by OptiTrack, and Driveline uses an OptiTrack motion capture system. So when I saw Chris's work, I said, hey, that's cool. Like, we use the exact same one. <laughs> I use his force decks, force plates, you know, has those read by someone. Because to, to take all this information, it's too hard to do it on your own, right? You got you to you involve a, a group, you know, so Como, Fawcett, and, and many others work with Bryson. So I'm not trying to, you know, I, I, you know whatever. Yeah. I'm not trying to denigrate or miss anyone. I'm sure I have. I know I have. <laughs> you know, but for power, you know, he's got he's got his content people, Tyke Green. You know, he used to he's very famous for the live at bats memes that he made for us at Driveline when he ran our content team. You know, mm-hmm. he's got his physical therapist, he's got his doctors, he's got um, he gets an MRI every year and has it interpreted on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, he does that. He has his pitching coaches he talks to, you know, he has his trainers that he talks to, he has a strength coach in Houston, he has a biomechanist in Utah, he has <laughs> but he's been doing that a long time. He understood the value of building a team. Right. And so all of us talk, we have a good relationship. All of the people that I just mentioned have a good relationship and we talk um, because we're all trying to be great in our own fields. And then we also talk to help Trevor, of course, that's what we're paid to do. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, it's refreshing when he started doing that. And, you know, I started seeing him build a team and I said, you know, that's that's the right approach because it's how you build a business, how you build anything. You know, Driveline has 100 employees now. Right. And so to build Driveline doesn't get there without building a thing. And the, the majority of the employees work in operations, customer service, logistics, things that people don't think are important, but are the most important part of your business. Yes, sir. Um, and, and so many of Trevor's, you know, employees that he you know, employs or whatever you want to call them do that. And I, I just want to, I'm just one of many of those. And it's no false modesty, but like, you know, the, the point, the value is not that Trevor's a genius or works extremely hard or any of that. And he is both of those things, right? But where Trevor's really smart, is that he built a team of experts um, that sometimes disagree with each other, you know, and provide him advice. And then Trevor makes the call. And that's to sacrifice that ego, to sacrifice that part of your control, mm-hmm. to turn it over to a team of experts, you know, and to ultimately make the call yourself, but to get the best ad- expert advice to invest in your career is impressive because that's, I don't see a lot. But when I see athletes that do that, people that do that, I think, okay, like he gets it. He gets it. He gets that this task is bigger than himself. So that's what I was going to say on that. Yeah, it, it's not often my, many people see beyond the athlete. And I, I can't – I completely agree with you because it's just – there's – you mentioned it's all about the team. The player, yes, got there themselves but relied on the team, just exactly like you said. So it, it, it's amazing. But uh, last question before we move on. This is, this is a bit of a, a bit of a tough one. But uh, obviously, you have your thoughts on this. In terms of play back in the 80s and 90s, most of the time, these, these players were just naturally, especially the great ones, the Hall of Famers, they were just naturally good at the game. Then Some of them, yes, relied on statistics. But I was wondering, in, in your opinion, the, the type of analytics technology that is available today, if that technology was available back in the 80s, and 90s do you feel that these players would have used that to their advantage is an obvious statement or do you feel that they played the game that they would still play the same way without really not wanting to know the statistics yeah it's a tough question but you know i think i think it would have changed for sure i think the players would have changed definitely the ecosystem would have changed because what it takes to spur change in this game is to win you know so when the, the big events that happened in my life around baseball, coaching and observing it, I can remember because I was there for one of them in person. Mm-hmm. I, watched, I watched Tim Lincecum strike out 17 
14 or 17 batters. It was a lot. Versus UCLA. I'm sorry. He was. I'm sorry. Yeah. Versus UCLA mm-hmm. in Seattle at University of Washington. I just moved to Seattle, and someone told me I had to go see this guy Tim Linskin pitch. I said, "All right." So I went and saw him pitch, um, and I watched him sit 98, touch 100 a handful of times, you mm-hmm. know, and throw the best breaking ball I may have ever seen to this day, you know. And I watched him dominate. <clears throat> he threw the last pitch, punched the guy out, threw a ball over. This outfield wall, and then walked off the field on his hands, did a handstand. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck was that? You know? And his coach, who's a good friend of mine now, Ken Knudsen, you know, he shook John Savage's hands. He was the coach of UCLA, and he still is. And it was, like, amazing. I was there with probably 20 scouts, 30 scouts. And I don't think a single scout knew what they were looking at. You know, people think back to that day for the people that were there and people that have heard that story, and there's gifts of it all over the internet. Mm-hmm. They say, like, that's when everyone knew that Linsingham was going to be elite. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, they didn't, because I was there. And the scouts had no fucking idea what they were looking at. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, it was so different. No pitcher had ever been that short and been that explosive and, and pitched like that. You didn't pitch like that. I mean, mechanics, you didn't throw like that. That wasn't normal, you know. You pitch like the Saturday guy, Nick Hagedon. Like Nick Hagedon was first rounder too. You know, Nick was tall and fall, lefty, mid nines, nasty slider. Pitched a long time in the big leagues too. You know, but that's what it looked like on Friday when Tim pitched. No one knew what they were looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes. And then when Tim got to the big leagues, one Cy Youngs. How many kids? You guys are young enough. How many, you guys probably pitched like Linscombe, right? How many kids you see that wanted oh, to do? Oh yeah, that? no, no, hundred percent, yeah. And for me, growing up, it was Roger Clemens because no one had ever seen something like that or Nolan Ryan, right? And I'm mm-hmm. older. I'm too young for Nolan to have been a massive impact, right? But not Clemens. Like, that was the guy, yeah. right? And it was Clemens, and then it was Randy Johnson, right? And then it was Mark Pryor, right? It was like that. Yeah, those were the big coming to my mind. So every time something like that happens, changes the game, right? And so Tim, what Tim changed was the concept that a, a short player could be drafted high and it not be a bust. Mm-hmm. And then that's what allowed Trevor to be picked second overall, third overall, you know, and that's what allowed Sonny Gray to be picked in the first round, right? That's what allows those things to happen, right? Stroman, Marcus Stroman, he doesn't go that high without Linscombe, yeah. you know, those things change the game. And so statistics is the same way as you've all, I'm certainly seen Moneyball and hopefully read it too. Yeah. But when that happens, it changed analytics forever rather than being something that you do. It became the way of life and how to run a team. And it slowly and slowly became the dominant way to run a front office, right, is to be data-driven, right? And yet on the player development side, can you point to a single time that numbers have been embraced by someone or whatever and have have really, like, talked about it openly and, and won something? And the answer is Trevor Bauer, right? It is 2020 the National League Cy Young winner, right? And in the way that he does things, whether it's weighted balls, long toss, the way he lifts weights, blood testing, you know, um, whatever, you know, whatever you want to point to, he employs Saber Metrics experts himself to analyze his game, right? And to do that, right? So it's it's huge. He, he has biomechanics. He has two different biomechanics labs that he goes to, right? And so that's going to be what changes it. And and Bryson DeChambeau is doing it to golf, right? Whereas the numbers were whatever you feel for it, and it's a field game. Bryson's like, it's just not, though. It's a numbers game, and there's feel inside that framework. Yes, you're not taking away the beauty of the game. You're just providing a structure for it, right? And so the canonical example that I'd like to close with that I'd like to bring up because I think people don't really respect it very much is it does come out every once in a while in the comparisons in the NBA, the greats, that like Michael Jordan was a bad three-point shooter in his career, right? Probably the best three-point shooter of the era was probably Mark Price at the time from Cleveland. Um, And then right behind it would be Steve Kerr, obviously his teammate, right? so those two were probably the best three-point shooters at the time, you know, and and Mark Price is one of the all-time great three-point shooters and, and free-throw shooters, right? He's up there, right? And it's like, oh, well, yeah, they've tried threes and, and Jordan didn't, and Jordan didn't have that tool in his game. And so what I think some people forget is that, A, Jordan didn't need that tool. So he was – he's either the first or the second or, or maybe the third best player if you're really a heretic, you know. He's one of the three best players in the NBA history of all uh, – ever, right? And he didn't need the tool to be that way. So does that a shortcoming in his game, or did he just decide that he could be great without it, you know? And there's that. But then the – and some people get that. 
But the thing that I think people don't really grasp is, is that Jordan, when growing up and playing high school ball, never played on a court that had a three-point line. Like, that didn't exist. Like, the three-point like shot is pretty new to the NBA, you know? And so it's like, imagine that the slider didn't exist until you got to the big leagues. It'd be pretty hard to adjust as a hitter, yeah. <laughs> like, you know? And so it's like, why would have Jordan ever been good at it, right? Because, like, he didn't have it in high school. Like, it didn't exist, you know? Yeah. I think until college, like, until he played against State. You know, so like that was never a thing that he would have ever been drilled at of being good at, you know. So that's how things change in baseball, too. Like you, if you didn't have tracking, if you didn't have track man or any of these other things to know the pitch types and what would work, you know, you can't really fault the people from old, like doing things differently. Like that would have been, you know, it, it, they just didn't know. And yet there are people that intuitively grasped it. You know, like there's a pitcher pitching today that we all consider one of the greatest pitchers of all time and one of the greatest pitchers to cover who did intuitively grasp it, that's Zach Grinke. Like, when Grinke came up with the Royals, you may be too young to remember, but he threw upper 90s. Yeah. He was a hard-throwing kid who, for some reason, he threw 100, but he threw, like, 40% fastballs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, it doesn't make any sense. You throw 100. And Grinke intuitively grasped that the harder you throw, the fewer fastballs you should throw, mm-hmm. right? Like, no one told him that. No one showed him any analytics. And from what I understand, Grinky doesn't really look at analytics today. Oh, yeah. But he grasped, he grasped it. And today he throws more fastballs than he, than he did, you know, years ago. It's kind of interesting, right? And so it's, it's this evolutionary. Numbers don't dominate the game. They don't turn it into something unlovable. People understood it, you know, in their own way. And then all of this, the numbers that are being brought to the forefront, you know, just expose it. And then, you know, allow for others to truly grasp what the nature of the game is, which the beauty of it is that it's always changing, you know, and then what's good today is not good 10 years from now or five years from now. Right. Um, the big one, and I know I've been rambling, but the big one is, is I spent an entire offseason with Trevor trying to develop a two-seam fastball. You know, we would be really good for Arsenal, really good versus rights, pretty good versus lefts because he had a trouble getting to the inside part. Ball. He had a trouble pronating the ball. So his changeup was always never very good. And then in 2020, he just never threw any, as you can see from the video. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he developed what is still today one of the better two-seam fastballs in baseball. Sure. Problem is that in literally two years, the two-seam fastball went from being a decent pitch to throw to one of the worst. So, like, because the hitters increased their vertical bat angle and their, their attack angle. So they started trying to hit the ball in the air. You can thank Chris Davis for that from the A's. And the A's put together that high launch angle team or the high attack angle team, which crushed sinkers, you know, and then other people adjusted. And then some dude named Mike Trout got to the big leagues. And oh, like Trout's, Trout's <laughs> biggest, big, not biggest hole, Trout's biggest red zone is down. You know, you can't throw balls down to Trout because they don't stay down, right? So, and his teammate Otani is very similar too, right? And so all of a sudden, a pitch went from being a good one to add to one of the worst. Now, still Trevor finds times to use it. And so does Sonny Gray, who has one of the game's best two-team fastball. You know, but that's how fast the game can change. That's why it's beautiful. It's why the rules changes. You know, I think we should wait a little bit of time on those things, you know, whether it's moving the mound back or the back. You know, I get it. You know, but at the end of the day, the hitters, um, you know, the pitchers are ahead because they're starting to embrace technology and starting to look at numbers and starting to play the game differently. And the hitters are catching up, you know, but when they do, I think you're going to see correction. Like these hitters are starting to, to do different things. And uh, there's are different hitters in the big leagues that are embracing technology and it is going to change the game for the better. Cause I think we all want to see the best players on uh, play at, uh, against each other. That what's, that's what makes it best for the fans. You know? So I think that the numbers, um, I think that the numbers help bring that out is my opinion. Yes, sir. Um, are we out of time? Cause we, we do have a quick five minute segment be real. No. Let's go ahead. Let's keep it rolling. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we have come up on our, uh, you know, segment at the end of the show called the pickle. Pickle. This time I remembered. This time I remembered, Ethan. Meet the Lord. For Mister Bodie. This will be that we are just like every guest. These are 10 surefire questions. They are going, not going to be easy. There's, there's some difficult questions in there for you, but just answer them as quick as you can and as fast as you can. Let's do it. All right. So number one, what is your favorite stat to look at? Pitching, hitting, or in general? In general, in general. Well, I'm going to try to answer as quick. I, I do want to give a real answer though. You know, I do. So yeah, please yeah, bear yeah. with me if I think about it a little bit. Is that okay? No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. 
Wow. What a great question. I got to be honest. That's a great question. Um, I told you not easy. Not easy. No, it's not. I love it. Though. <laughs> I love it. Cause it's a great question. You have to boil it down. You should have an answer. Most people are going to give a BS answer. To this. Um, <laughs> no, I appreciate I love, it. I love the simplicity of weighted runs created. I love the simplicity of the plus WRC plus. Okay. I love that. I can look at a number and if it's a hundred, the player is a league average player at any league that he's at. And then if it's 120, he's 20% better. And if he's 80, he's 20% worse. I, I love the simplicity of the plus scale, but I'll go with weighted runs created. All right. Okay. Um, number two, who was your favorite player growing up? Ricky Anderson. Not even close. Right. Bill James had the greatest quote about him, if you don't know. Uh, I mean, I know you know who Bill James is, but the quote about Ricky is that you could divide Ricky Anderson's career into two and you'd have two Hall of Famers. Like Ricky is. Oh, yeah. He was the sabermetric hero before it even existed. No, Ricky is my favorite player growing up and still is today. All right. Number three, biggest analytics advocate in the MLB. This could be uh, – I, I mean, it, you could say Trevor Bauer. wouldn't surprise me, but who do you think is the biggest analytics advocate in terms of player in the MLB? Probably Bauer, but I'm going to choose a different one because I think it's – you know, that's too easy. Um, <laughs> analytics, so not Bauer. Um, could be TJ Anton. With the okay. Reds? Okay. Yeah, Anton, yeah. All right. All right. Number four, who do you think is the greatest of all time um, MLB dynasty? Wow. Dynasty, huh? Like the team. Um, it's not where I thought this question was going. Got to go. <laughs> you know, 20, 1920s Yankees, right, is usually the pretty standard call here. Mm-hmm. I would go – with the early 2000s, late 90s Braves, because they only won one World Series over my hometown team, the Indians. That was bad. Uh, <laughs> but the amount of winning, they won so much yeah. that playoff games didn't sell out. Like, that's that's how much they won. Yeah. You know, like, they would get to the NLDS and fans would not sell out because the fans are like, of course they're in the playoffs. Yeah. This is just game like this is game 164 for us. Who cares? Yeah. You know, and like you can blame most people turn that to blame Atlanta fans. <laughs> I think that it's that impressive that you can bore a fan base by winning so yeah, much. They don't yeah. care that you made the playoffs. I mean, that's impressive. That is like, a, that's impressive. That's I'm going to go with the Braves. Yeah. Great answer. Now you could say Ricky Henderson again. Greatest of all time. MLB player. Barry Bonds. I mean, it's just, I, I, this is really, I, this is not arguable. <laughs> it's no, no, not, I, not, I, I agree. It's, I agree. It's Bonds. I, the only caveat is that if you could have played more years and you didn't serve his country, Ted Williams probably would be the best player of all time. Okay. Um, but Willie Mays is a close – Willie Mays is probably the second best player of all time. And if we had wins above replacement, Willie Mays would have turned in many – like, and we accurately measured his defense, mm-hmm. he would have been in multiple 10 more seasons, I believe it. Okay. All right. Answer. Um, number six, do you prefer exit velocity or projected distance? Hmm. Depends on the level of player at the big league level, projected distance at the lower levels, exit velocity. Okay. 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 Number seven, best player you've had comes through driveline that could Trevor Bauer, but who do you has the most development you've seen through driveline? Yeah. I'm going to go with best player. Like to, that was great when he walked in, you know, cause Trevor was that. Um, okay. I've trained Lincecum. Mm-hmm. That was fun. It was at the end of his career. It was fun, though. It was a blast. Um, one of the best humans I've ever been around, not baseball or anything. So, yeah, but it wouldn't be Tim, not because he wasn't at the time. Tyler Glass now. Tyler Glass now. Yeah. Tyler Glass now. Tyler Glass now showed up to driveline. He actually just talked about it in an interview and made fun of me. I'm playing. A, I'm playing a chess correspondence game with him. We make one move per day right now. Uh, <laughs> Glass now showed up to driveline. Broke every throwing velocity record got on a plane and didn't come back that was gosh that was incredible that was incredible what? yeah glass yeah. now glass now for sure and then he got in the box and hit a hit a double off of trevor bauer in live at oh. yeah. <laughs> fun fact you'll learn the lesser known fact uh glass now and bauer were teammates in high school for a year oh i did not know that yeah and bauer called glass now weird which is <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> <laughs> Last night, I'm like, well, he's right. I was. <laughs> no, All go. right. Number eight. Uh, what was your favorite MLB team growing up? Yeah, it's Indians. Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, they were the greatest. It was it was a great time to be a fan. 
not when I was young. It was a terrible team. But then that 90s team was was a force to be reckoned with. It was a blast. Yes, sir. Number nine, another preparation. Uh, do you prefer spin, uh, spin rate or velocity in a pitcher's arm? Man, that's a tough one. Um, like the- going to go with spin rate. Then right? Close. Yeah, yeah. Do you, prefer, with- do you prefer finesse over uh, oh. over power? Man. In a young player, I would prefer they have better commands. In an older player, I want them to have better stuff. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, the last question. Um, this is this is an easier one, hopefully. Um, who do you think is the best fan base in the MLB? Wow. That's not an easy one. I'm gonna piss off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't. Okay, all no, right. No, 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 it's good. No, no, dude, you don't. We don't run away from questions. I, I'm good with it. I'm good with the tough ones. <laughs> um, so, hmm. I'll say that the Reds fans have been super awesome because, mm-hmm. for some reason, the Reds fans really liked the fact that I was hired, which. I don't really understand why fans would give a shit about me. <laughs> so that's cool. You've been I've done multiple gym AMAs gym. on the r slash Reds community, which has always gone really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, by some measure, and this is going to sound heretical, it really is going to sound crazy. But some of the best fans in, in all the professional sports, baseball for sure, are fans from Philly. Because okay. to throw batteries at Santa and all those other things they talk about. <laughs> yeah. The deal is that someone from Philly would do for their team, you know, and that's the Eagles, that's the Phillies, you know, it's, it's definitely the Flyers for sure, you know, it's the Sixers, you know, but like by some measure, you know, I've talked to my friends from Philly, by some measure, the Phillies fans are the best in, you know, are the best. It's true, you know, because they're so passionate. And, and what is, what is, what is a marker of being a fan? What is a better marker of being a fan than other being like, absurdly irrationally passionate you know so by some measure it's up there for sure yes sir mr Bodie, that was probably one of the best rounds of the pickle we've had so i mean that that brings us to the end here um i understand we went over the time limit i apologize if if that caused any no not at all it's always you know it's good it was a good interview so happy to do it a couple extra minutes all right thank you very much we hope you had a good time That'll take us to the end here, Mr. Bodie. It was great to hear just all everything that came out of your mouth. Everything was so valuable. You you do the most, probably the most te- technologically influential people in the game so far. It, it, I mean that that could be just what I'm saying, but that just based off what I've seen, what I've heard, and especially off of tonight, and right. the amount of you know knowledge you carry with you is just amazing. So, well, thank you very much, and I'll do I'll do you and I'll do you one bit. This interview was great. You guys did a great job. You're definitely in the top quartile of interviewers I've ever had. So, good job. On oh, that. really? Are you? Oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> um, right. And from what I understand, you're both in Toledo, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. Are you from that area normally? No, I'm from Florida. He's from Chicago. Oh well, I was going to say we could do this in person when I visit the Toledo affiliate in the in the summer. But you know, you know. Well, actually. I was actually hired on today uh, for an internship with the Muddens. The Muddens, let's go. Sure. What are you doing? I'm going. They combined the box office and re- retail internship, so I'll be working with the front office and a little bit of retail as well. All right. Well, when Louisville goes and visits, maybe we can. Uh, maybe I'll swing up there. My family lives in Cleveland, so maybe I almost. By the way, hot t- I almost went to UT. I almost went there. Oh, wow! Wow! Yeah, it was really close. Oh. Really close. Great engineering yeah. school. You know, I'm only so. hours away, so I'll definitely drive up. You know, yeah, perfect. Yeah, uh, we'll try to set it up. You know, when get to get in there, I'd love to get to there. I'd love to get to Toledo. I love that stadium. And I actually talked to my friend. My friend is the director of pitching with the Tigers, and um, you know, my other friend is it works in the front office there. So I had a, I, I just talked to him today. So it was really cool. Serendipitous. So you know, whether I can get to Toledo, you know, maybe we can do this and you know, socially distance. Hopefully, yeah, we're vaccinated by then. I'm vaccinated already, so you know, we'll do the mask. We're, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we can do it. Yeah, you know. So we'll see. But thanks a lot, guys. This is great. And then hopefully we can do it in person, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
all the all designated right. chatter fans out there, make sure to follow designated chatter on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and find all our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to stay tuned for more upcoming podcasts. Stay safe, everyone.